Uh, I'm Caleb. If we haven't met yet, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, welcome. Hopefully you feel welcome. Hopefully you've been welcomed. Uh, this is a good group of people. I hope that you sense that if you are on the newer side of things. If you aren't on the newer side of things, you've been here, you know that we're in a series. We're in a series called The Pursuit of Happiness. And we're talking about the pursuit of happiness in this new year because everybody's doing it. Uh, not in a, like a go along with the crowd kind of thing, but in an awareness kind of thing that everyone is thinking about how to make more of 2015 than they had in 2014, right? Everyone sets goals and New Year's resolutions to live better, to be healthier, to work harder, to st establish better habits, not for the sake of mediocrity in the new year, but for the sake to go further in the new year than they did last year. No one, no one sets a goal and says, I want to live a, a you know, subpar uh, existence in 2015 compared to 2014. No, everyone wants more health, more habit, more whatever on their way toward whatever it is that they're shooting for. And so that's why we're talking about that. What we've said is that the ironic thing about happiness or, or life maximizing life is that it's actually received, not achieved. Many of us try to achieve happiness. We try to achieve fulfillment. We go after it. Uh, we put it on a dream board and we go and we try to claim it. Not that dream boards are bad, but when that's our focus and it's all about us and it's self-focus and how much more we can get from me and we just consume, consume, consume and we try to squeeze life out of these things that we're consuming, you'll find yourself consistently unsatisfied. It's as if happiness, joy, meaningfulness of life just slips through your fingers the more you try to claim it, like it's mine and I deserve it and I'm just going to speak it and it's claim it. And, uh, and you actually end up squeezing the satisfaction out of life because God designed this life to be where happiness, joy, connection, maximum is from Him, that we receive it. We can't just achieve it on our own. We also said last week that our purpose in life, part of being satisfied with our lives is finding our purpose, and our purpose goes beyond our paycheck and our position and our promotions. It goes beyond those things. And that Jesus said that our purpose in being here is actually to be a blessing to other people, that you will experience more blessing, more satisfaction, more passion for life as you bless other people. He used, these, he used these images of salt and light. If you missed that message, you can listen to it online. Today, we're talking about one of the biggest happiness stealers in life. And it's kind of surprising. It might, be, it might be surprising to you. But one of the biggest ways that we miss out on the full life that God wants for us is because of religion. You might not have seen that one coming. But it is. It's, it's because of religion. And here's the thing. The longer you're a church person, the longer you try to follow God, the more susceptible you are to religion. The more you find yourself kind of just sliding toward, defaulting to religious activities. Now, religious activities are to us. It's the same kind of achievement achieving, trying to achieve some kind of supernatural, spiritual superiority and closeness with God as if it's something that you can do, that you can manufacture. Did you know that religion is the world's idea, not God's idea? Religion is the world system trying to get, trying to control you into thinking that you can achieve more, a more God-like status, that you can get yourself to an acceptable place to God. 
That's the world's idea. God has an enemy, and in this world system, he's trying to whisper those things to us about, about rules and restrictions and rituals and trying to convince you that you can actually perform your way up to God's standard. And you can't. It just doesn't work that way. Some of you have been miserable trying that strategy, and you found that you just can't do it. The good news for us is that Jesus came with a completely different message. Jesus came in kind of like a revolution of religion. He took religion and he flipped it on its head and he said, it's not what you think it is. You can't get there by going this way. Jesus actually came to earth. He actually showed up to be closer to human beings, you and me, as if to say, here's how this is going to work. Listen to my messages, but also see that I'm with you. This is about a relationship, not about religiousness, not about your rules and your rituals and your restrictions. Jesus' behavior and his teachings were so countercultural in his day that people, were, people just didn't get it. They didn't understand. They thought, what, what is this guy about? Is he, is he doing away with the whole entire Old Testament? Is he flipping the whole law of Moses that was then passed down from generations to generations and the Ten Commandments on those things, you know, that my grandma has up in her house? Is he saying that all that is just tossed and done with? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in his most famous sermon, the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of humanity. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 17 starts out this way. Don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I didn't come to just do away with the Old Testament. It's not that the Old Testament is irrelevant now. It's not that those laws don't mean anything. He says, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. In other words, there is still purpose in God's law. There's still purpose in the Ten Commandments and in some other laws that God put in for context. There is still a reason for those. And, he, and then he kind of leans in. He says, and here's the reason. I fulfill them. The reason that those things exist is for, is for me to show you, for me to color them for you, to illuminate them for you, so that you see ultimately why they are here. They give you a standard for living that you can't live up to. I know that, you know that, he says. That's their purpose. It's not that so you can do every single detail. It's all meaningful, it's all good, and it's all the right way. If you live that way, life will go better for you. But I've come to fulfill it and to show you that even though you can't live that way, I have a plan for that. I've got you covered. And then he goes on. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Let me, let me show you what he says next. But I warn you, he says, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, the pastors, priests, and those types of the day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So now these people are like, okay, wait, wait. So it's still legit, and I have to be more religious than the religious leaders? I have, wait, wait. I have to have a, a higher standard of... We, we, you're kind of getting at the fact that I can't do it, and then you say that I have to be even more perfect than the religious leaders who are constantly telling me that they're better than me. 
who are, who are constantly doing demonstrations that prove their spiritual, religious authority over me. I have to be better than them? The religious leaders make it really clear that I'm not and that I can't be. Those Pharisees, they believed that if everyone just obeyed the law, if they could just be, be better at the details of God's commandments, that then God would be happy and he would come and he would make everything, he would make the world all better. And so they tried to take his law and they put all these handles on it and said, hey, now you, if, if and, you know, we'll please God if we do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Well, but God only said this. Yeah, 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 but this is gonna help you do this. So we're gonna, we're gonna create all these extra things. And they put all these handles on God's law to try to humanize it and make it more achievable for them, again, because they're trying to put their religiousness on display and make people feel like they're superior spiritually. And they miss the point of God's law completely. Have you ever been around people uh, that made you feel like they were religiously superior than you, to you? That they made you feel like you were kind of less than, that you didn't really know enough about God, that maybe like one day you could be as close to God as them, that maybe if you kind of learned the right things or, or prayed in the right way that, you know, oh, that's cute how you pray, you know, or something like that. That's what those religious leaders were like. They did that all the time. And, and do you know why 80% of the people in our country don't go to church on a regular basis? Because they feel like that. Because they feel, they feel judged. They feel less than. They feel like they know that they don't measure up. They, feel, they, don't, they know that they're not living a moral and perfect life. And then they look at the religious people who make them feel bad about themselves and they see hypocrisy in their life and they're like, forget that. They can't even do it and they pretend. I don't want to be around those pretenders. I don't want to be around that, that fakeness. If that's what God wants, no, there's no way that God wants that. That's inconsistent. That's not, I don't, I don't, that's the world that we live in. That's where we find ourselves. There are many, many people that go about their religious faith making other people feel less than, still today. There are a lot of Christians who are religion Christians and not relationship Christians. A lot of, a lot of people who are about the rules and rituals and restrictions, trying to make themselves feel closer to God, missing the point that Jesus came like us for a relationship to illuminate and bring context to how that whole law thing was set up in the first place and why it matters. I'll explain more about that in a minute, but I wanted to tell you this fascinating story from the Old Testament, <clears throat> from the story of uh, Babel. Hillary and I, our first date, we went to see the movie Babel with Brad Pitt. I don't recommend that on a first date. <clears throat> it was depressing. But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Babel is a real story and it was a real place. And, and uh, it, it, we come into this story right on the heels of the great flood where Noah, uh, not Russell Crowe, but the Noah of the Bible, was, 
was told by God to build this ark, and then there was this flood, and kind of, God kind of did a reset thing and restarted. And he restarted with Noah's family, and Noah had some boys, and then they had some kids, and, there, and there were, they had wives, and they had kids, and then they, their kids had kids, right? And so now all, all of a sudden, this area is repopulated again. They all speak the same language, and they're pulling in the same direction. And they all remember, because they've been told by their dad and their grandfather and his grandfather, uh, th- this God who did the flood thing. And so they feel vulnerable. Like there's this mysterious God up there. He hasn't really like talked to us lately, but we hear that he's this big, powerful God and he did the flood thing. And so we want to try to impress this God. And and so here's what we can do. There's a lot of us now. We've figured out some kind of engineering tactics. We're going to build this massive city and at the heart of it, this incredible tower. And we're going to build our way to him. Maybe we can get a glimpse of this God up there in the clouds that brought down rain. Maybe we can see him. Maybe we can kind of work our way into favor with this God. Here's what the Bible says, Genesis chapter 11. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, so that we can boost our image and maybe we'll incur the favor of God. Maybe we should build this tower, construct this thing to get us closer to God. In other words, maybe our performance, maybe the stuff that we do, the things that we build, will get us better standing in God's eyes. Maybe that's what will bring us favor with God. And so God just kind of laughed at it and he was like, you guys, this is, you're missing the whole point. You can't, this is not what it's about. You can't build your way to heaven. In the same way, religious people try to build their way to being more godlike, right? What we learn from this story is that rebellion takes two forms. Rebellion from God can look like you running in the opposite direction of God. God, I'm just doing my own thing right now. I, you know, I'm in my 20s for crying out loud. You know, I, l- let, me, let me live. God, I, I live in downtown Huntington right now. Just let me like live it up for a season. When I pop out a kid, we'll get back in touch, you know? It, <laughs> There's, there's, that kind of, there's that kind of rebellion. I'm just going to do my own thing. Not now, God. Thank you anyway. And then there's a different kind of rebellion. There's the kind of rebellion that tries to control God by building towers to God, toward God, as if to incur favor with God, as if you can manage to get yourself there to a place that's pleasing to him. As if you can construct your life in such a way that, that, that you become acceptable to God. Remember the purpose of the law, Jesus says, is not that you do everything perfectly, but to show you that you can't be perfect. You can't be perfect. You can't build your way to heaven. You can't construct your life in such a way that you're free from all sin for all of time because of your discipline. You can't do it. If you feel like you're performing for God to notice you, if you feel like God's just so distant, or if you feel like I've tried all these formulas, you know, pray this prayer, do these beads, go to this group, have this thing, and I just, I still don't feel it, it's because you're trying to build your own tower to God. It's not the way it works. You can't be good enough. You can't be perfect And hopefully, I believe that today is an important day for you. 
I want to introduce you to a, a friend of mine who felt like God was distant from him and irrelevant to his life uh, until something changed. Would you please welcome Henry to share his story with us? Thank you, Karen. Good morning. So I was raised Catholic, but I never felt close to the religion. I went to church every Sunday with my parents until I left for college, and every Sunday I would dress up, I would go to mass, kneel, sit, stand, listen to Bible readings I couldn't really relate to, listen to a sermon I couldn't really apply to my daily life, and then hear my parents gossip about the people they talked with and shook hands with just minutes before. So because of all that, I really couldn't relate to religion for much of my youth, and so essentially I was unchurched my entire adult life. As an adult, I had a relationship with God, but only when I needed him. Dear God, please help me nail this job interview. Dear God, please help me score that raise. In my 20s and for most of my 30s, my God was myself, my career, and my pursuit of wealth. I spent nearly my entire 30s, um, oh, lost my face. I spent nearly all my uh, 20s and 30s avoiding friendship, romantic relationships, and spiritual relationships because I thought those things would get in the way of me making money, would get in the way of me growing my career, of me living for the glory of Henry Carlson. I remember being 30 years old and making six figures a year, working as an economist in the Bay Area, and my mom telling me over the phone one day that I should go to church to thank God for my good fortune. And I told her without missing a beat, Mom, I don't need God, I need a tax accountant, I'm making so much money. <laughs> a few years ago, I started to feel the personal and spiritual toll of this deeply self-centered life, and it became harder to ignore the encroaching loneliness and a certain spiritual emptiness. And so in 2012, I started exploring spiritually, but I didn't come to God, not yet. I remembered my poor experience with Catholicism growing up, and so I wasn't eager to try any of Christianity's flavors. Instead, I dabbled in Buddhism and Hinduism. I picked up Kundalini Yoga for about a year and a half, and it brought me a certain peace, but in the end, I wasn't comfortable chanting to elephant-headed gods or praying to long-dead Indian gurus. <laughs> but I wasn't ready to come to God yet, either. Last March, I took a pretty girl out on a date, and we got talking about religion. She had been saved and mentioned that her relationship with God and with Jesus was a big part of her life. So big, in fact, that she was looking for somebody who was in the exact same spiritual place as she was. I, of course, with my kundalini yoga practice and casual Buddhism, didn't qualify. <laughs> Which explains why I didn't get any dates with her after that, but that's okay. It's okay because it got me thinking that in the months that I got to know her leading up to our date, I noticed that she lived differently. She took her career seriously, and she made good money, but she was humble, and she was grateful for the things and the people in her life. She made room for her God and credited him with much in her life. And so I started church shopping. Not so I could later go back and tell her, hey, I found God, how about that second date? <laughs> <laughs> but because there was something about the way she lived that I wanted for myself. And so I re-explored my Catholicism. I visited a friend's Lutheran church for a couple weeks. I tried a Baptist church for a week. April of last year, I, or April of last year, I wound up, I wound up here on a friend's recommendation. And I really liked what I heard, so I kept coming. I loved Caleb's messages about a non-judgmental, personal savior 
who loved me despite my previous complete distrust of others, despite my narcissism, and despite my, my greed. And I loved how friendly people were here, especially to me. This place felt homey really, really quickly. This last summer, I decided that I wanted to step further into this community, and that led me to Rooted. Truthfully, I didn't join Rooted to be closer to God, though Rooted definitely brought me closer to him. I actually joined Rooted so I could just feel more part of this community. So early Rooted sessions talk mostly about who God is and how he's been a part of your life, even if you haven't previously recognized it. The middle of Rooted gets into what parts of your life are poisoning your relationship with him and your capacity to become who he wants you to become. And this is where Rooted changed me. Rooted held up a mirror to me, and I saw how my inability to form really close connections with people, I saw how my years of narcissism and self-centeredness, and I saw how my long-standing desire to fill my life with money and career success to the exclusion of everything else, were rooted in a lack of trust in God and a lack of trust in his promises to love me and care for me. So Rooted showed me that I desired to worship my ego and control every aspect of my life and to be able to buy or influence my way out of anything that could have happened to me because I was afraid to just let go and trust God. And Rooted got me thinking about how my actions had hurt the handful of people I did maintain and about the opportunities that I'd missed to know other people and to know him. Not just him, but him. <laughs> <laughs> and it was truly a game changer for me. So the biggest change in my life since Rooted is that I'm trying to trust God in all parts of my life. Something goes wrong at work, it's not the end of the world, it's not a reason to panic, it's not a reason to start fantasizing about running away to some Costa Rican beach town for a year. <laughs> it's, just part of God's, it's just part of God's larger plan. I get my heart broken, it's not failure. It's not a reason to think I'll be alone forever. It's one more step on God's path to bring me the person he wants me to find when I'm ready for her. And it's not a reason, and if I experience a setback someplace else in my life, it's not a reason to get down on myself. It's an incident to learn from because God is pushing me to become the man he wants me to be for the good of his kingdom. Those are the kinds of ways that I live differently now, and those are the ways that God, God used Rooted to change me. And of course, Rooted provided me with a community of 15 people I love very much. There's a few from there. There's one right there. And that's awesome because I've always had difficulty letting people into my life, but that's less of a problem now. So if you, if you haven't been through Rooted, or if you're new to the church, you know, I can't, I can't tell you whether or not Rooted is right for you, but I can tell you that it was very right for me in ways that I didn't see coming. I'm really grateful that I took that leap. Thanks, Thank you. Isn't that awesome? God used Rooted in Henry's life to draw him closer, to, to, to show him things. Uh, and if you haven't done Rooted, you should sign up today. You should definitely do it. But God is speaking right here, right now. God is here. He's a breath away. And he, I believe, is saying things to many of you, even right now, about what he has for you, that it's more than just rules and restrictions and rituals. It's more than just posturing and how you look. For, uh, for those of you like me that have been going to church or following God for a long time, you have this propensity toward religiousness. You just do. There's an enemy of God in this world, 
And if he can't make you as bad as you used to be, he'll make you religious or he'll try, which is equally futile. Trying to manufacture and build your own way, your own tower to God, it just doesn't work. And that's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Pharisees believed. And Jesus had his harshest words for those Pharisees because they made people feel less than. They made people try to look at them as religiously superior. They were the ones who tried to say, we're not in debt, be like us. We've got our sexuality on lockdown, look at us. We only buy products from socially responsible businesses, look at us. They elevated themselves in any way that they could to try to get people to think that they were closer to God because of their disciplines, their rules, their rituals. And so Jesus said this to those Pharisees. He says in Matthew chapter 23, What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you're hypocrites, For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He uses this dish as a metaphor as if to say, you are so worried about the blemish on people here or that that you fear that people will see, that you're completely ignoring the fact that your insides are just a disaster. You're just trying to polish up what you think people see. And on the inside, you're a phony. You're fake. It's just all about you and your image and the tower that you're trying to build to please God or to look special in other people's eyes. He says the law, in essence, the law is about showing you that you can't do it on your own. You can't be good enough. That everyone falls short. That everyone is a mess. That everyone is far from God. And you can't fix yourself. But if you trust me, If you trust me, the God who came to earth to be with you, I can clean you from the inside out. I can allow you to be transformed. It's only God. You cannot clean yourself. High performance is not enough. Good behavior is not enough. Religious superiority is not enough. Even Bible knowledge in your head is not enough. He wants to clean us. He wants to give us a new life from the inside out. Those of us who are secretly angry, people out here don't know it, but there's anger in here. He can can transform that anger to authenticity. Or if you're like me and you couldn't ever admit that you were angry, I'm just frustrated. I'm just frustrated. (laughs) He can transform your frustration into fulfillment, that you can actually be satisfied. For those of you who are judgmental, secretly or not so secretly, (laughs) 
He can transform you into being generous from the inside out. That's why Jesus came, to be like us, to be, he had the God factor. He was the only one who could live a perfect and pure life. We can't do it. Only he can do it. And he did it. And then he died on the cross as if to say, this death covers your death. Now you no longer have to die spiritually. You can have forgiveness and a relationship with me and we can begin to clean this mess up. That's the whole point. You can't do it on your own. Don't listen to the religiously superior that make you feel less than. They're the same. They're a mess in here too. But I have come that everyone could be forgiven of all their mess and that I could begin to help you and transform you from the inside out. That's the gospel message of Jesus. That is his revolutionary message, that he didn't come to overthrow the Roman government and do the revolution that people expected. He came to revolutionize the inside, the heart, the soul. You can't be perfect, and that's the point. You can't build yourself a tower to heaven to win favor with God. It's not enough. But he comes to you because he loves you just as you are, in the middle of your mess. Let me read a few verses to you. Everything begins and ends with God's love. Here's what he says in Romans 2. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's his kindness that compels us to change. It's not that he shames us. It's not that he, he makes us feel like we'll just never get it. Like you're, it's his kindness, his kindness, his invitation to trust him, to allow him to change us from the inside out. And then our theme verse for this series, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God isn't holding out on you, friends. He wants more for you than you want for you. He just wants to do it from the inside out. It's not about the stuff out here that we try to cling toward and get for ourselves. He wants to transform us from the inside out to live a full, meaningful, fulfilling existence. This next verse from the letter to the Philippians, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Man, I just can't, I just can't seem to get it right. It's God who gives you the power. It's not all about your discipline. It's not all about white-knuckling your change. It's not all about you. He gives you the desire and the power to be transformed from the inside out. And then lastly, Ezekiel says, I will put my spirit in you and will move you to follow my decrees. It's God's spirit in us that moves us towards him, that makes us like him. You know why people don't rush to church? It's because there's folks outside that make them feel less than, that they can never be close to God. You know what? None of us can be close to God without God being close to us first. He changes us from the inside out. 
Jesus brings good news. He puts his spirit in us. It's his kindness that inspires us to change, and it's his spirit that helps us to change, that changes us. There's a uh, little chart that I wanted to throw up on the screen. This is the way of religion. It says that if I obey God, step one, then God will see my obedience, and then he'll accept me and he'll bless me. In other words, I'm building my way to acceptable status with God. But Jesus flips that and he says, God loves me. He shows up. He died for me. He loves me just as I am in the middle of my mess. He accepts me and he blesses me despite all of my weaknesses and shortcomings. I see God's love and acceptance and blessing for me. I receive it and I follow God. And I allow him to make me acceptable to him as we go. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to wash your dish. You don't have to show up perfectly to be here. We come as we are. We accept this generous gift of his love. You know what the most, the most profoundly spiritual thing you can do in life is? I hear people say all the time that they want increased spiritual depth. I need more depth in my life. I've been going to church for a long time. I need to hear things differently. I need more information. I need more something. I just, I just need more depth. I'm going to let you in on a secret of the universe. Do you know how to get more spiritual depth in your life? There's one simple thing. Say yes. You just say yes to God. I've been to seminary. I've read lots and lots of books. I'm third-generation pastor. And I'm telling you that no amount of head knowledge, no amount of stuff, no amount of conferences or experiences or whatever it is, is going to create the depth. It's simply a matter of saying yes to God. Some of you, for the first time, you've never said yes to God. You can do that today. You can do that this morning. You can simply say, yes, God, I, re I recognize I cannot be good enough on my own. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. Others of us, we've, we've prayed prayers like that. We just need to keep saying yes day after day after day, moment after moment, because you, like me, have a propensity toward religiousness. And if the enemy of God can't make you bad, he's going to try to make you religious evaluating everything, building all your constructs and trying. The way to grow is to just keep saying yes. Every day, moment by moment, every opportunity. When he challenges you in a relationship, you just say yes. When it doesn't feel like you have the strength to stay, to keep going forward, you just keep saying yes to him. Let him do the miracle. When you're not sure if you can get through this thing, but he just says, be faithful, you just say yes. When you're wrestling with the addiction and you don't want to share, you don't want to ask for help, you say yes. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And you just keep saying yes. I want to just create a moment for you to consider what it is that God is asking you to say yes to today. For some of you, it's saying yes to him for the very first time and really saying, I, I'm going to give my life to you. I want you to change me from the inside out. I don't want this religious mumbo jumbo. I want you. I want a relationship with you. And you'll have that opportunity in this moment as the band plays and sings. I'm going to come back up afterwards and I'm going to ask you, did you say yes? Will you say yes? God, will you speak to us? Will you give us courage? And will you illuminate the places in our life 
where we're trying to manage our own lives. Will you help us to say yes to you this morning, all the good that you have done, and receive your generous love. In Jesus' name.